Growing up, my brothers and I used to really enjoy video games, but we were always a few years behind because we would buy our video game systems at a yard sale, and it worked well for us, but we were always a few years behind. But one of the first games that I really remember investing a significant amount of time in was Zelda Ocarina of Time. And I know some of you know it, some of you don't. But I remember going through that game, and we spent about 27 hours getting through the game. Thank goodness we could save it. My mom would not have let us do that otherwise. But we finally got through the game, only to learn that there were a bunch of other side quests and many things that we had not completed. We had, yes, finished the game, but we really hadn't. We hadn't done 100% of the work left to do. Um, I'd love to tell you I have. I haven't. I have not 100%. I don't think I've 100%ed any game in my life. But what I want to tell you today is that in life itself, we have the opportunity to push forward for 100%. Don't declare victory just because you finished something, just because you finished the easy part. Don't declare victory. Turn in your Bibles to Joshua 18. And what I want you to see, what I want to emphasize is that it's easy for us to declare victory before we are completely done with the mission. And that's the trap that Israel fell into in Joshua 18. Let me set some background and sort of remind you of the things that were going on as we led up to this. In the first 17 chapters of Joshua, there were victories, there were defeats, there were lots of opportunities to celebrate, there were some opportunities to change, to grow. And what we have seen is that time and time again, Israel had a victory, but I think these victories begin to wear on the people of Israel because years and years of fighting and striving takes its toll. And I think they begin to grow weary. And that's what we're going to pick up here in Joshua 18, is at the point where the Israelites had had these wonderful victories, but had begun to grow weary. He begun to wonder, what should we do? Should we continue forward? So in your Bibles, in Joshua chapter 18, we're going to start by reading the first 10 verses together, and then we'll break it apart. So let's start with Joshua 18, starting in verse 1. The whole assembly of the Israelites gathered at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. The country was brought under their control, but there were still seven Israelite tribes who had not yet received their inheritance. So Joshua said to the Israelites, How long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you? Appoint three men from each tribe. I will send them out to make a survey of the land and write a description of it according to the inheritance of each. Then they will return to me. You are to divide the land into seven parts. Judah is to remain in its territory on the south and the tribes of Joseph in their territory on the north. After you have written descriptions of the seven parts of the land, bring them here to me and I will cast lots for you in the presence of the Lord our God. The Levites, however, do not get a portion among you because the priestly service of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh have already received their inheritance on the east side of the Jordan. Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave it to them. As the men started on their way to map out the land, Joshua instructed them, go and make a survey of the land and write a description of it. 
Then return to me, and I will cast lots for you here at Shiloh in the presence of the Lord. So the men left and went through the land. They wrote its description on a scroll, town by town, in seven parts, and returned to Joshua in the camp at Shiloh. Joshua then cast lots for them in Shiloh in the presence of the Lord, and there he distributed the land to the Israelites according to their tribal divisions. The first point that I want to make coming out of this passage is that we, as Christ followers, need to make sure that we don't settle for a spiritually purposeless nomadic existence. Understand the context of what's happened. We've had 17 chapters in the book of Joshua of conquest, 17 chapters outlining battle, 17 chapters detailing the initial conquest of the land. And at this point, Israel appears tired. You see, they, they stop fighting, it seems like. Judah has its territory. Ephraim and Manasseh have their territory. And everyone else is kind of taking it easy. Kind of saying, you know, we've been fighting for a number of years. We could just live in our tents. We don't really need to go finish this off, right? We're happy. We're content. Let's just call it good. And Joshua says, no. Joshua says, what God has given you, you need to take and possess. Don't settle. Go forward. Strive forward. Don't merely settle. Shiloh would have been located about in the middle of the country of Israel, and they would have been able to see a lot of the land that was left to take. And so Joshua calls a meeting in the middle in Shiloh. The first sort of point that we have is that weariness often leads us to prematurely end the fight. Weariness often leads us to prematurely end the fight. We can have victory after victory after victory, and those will sustain us and keep pushing us forward, but only for so long before if we don't go to God, we become weary. And we need a reminder that we should continue striving forward. So I want you to see how Joshua encourages this. He recognizes that weariness leads us to prematurely end the fight. And so he pushes forward by first telling the people, take note of the blessing that God is offering. Take note of the blessing God's offering. Send people out into the land. Look at it. Evaluate it. Remind yourself of what God is offering. You might think you're content living in tents, but God has cities prepared for you. You might think you're content wandering around, but God has a stable place for you. Take note of what God is offering you. We're not Israel. The church is not Israel. We don't replace Israel. God is not offering us the land of Canaan today. But God is offering us something. And we're going to get to that in the second bullet point. I want you to note and be anticipating what is it that God is offering us he is offering us something. We need to take note of it. And the third thing that I get in this passage before we sort of break into applications for us is that Joshua says, take action to realize the blessing that God is offering. In verses 8 through 10, Joshua calls on the people to take action. Don't merely settle 
take note of what God's offering, and then take action to possess it. Joshua says, first of all, map out the land. Take careful, careful note of it. Second, divide it out. Figure out how you're going to do this. Make a plan. Make a game plan so that you're not merely waiting in a nomadic existence. In Joshua chapter 18, Israel was faced with an important decision. Would they sit and just wait and really not take action? Or would they move forward with what God had clearly given them? That was the decision Israel faced. That's the decision that we face in our spiritual lives. So the question I have for you, ask yourself, where have you prematurely ended the fight? Where have you declared, I've got this good enough. I don't need to worry about it anymore. This area of my life, you know, 10 years ago, I was really struggling with sin in that area. Now I only occasionally struggle with sin in that area. I'm good enough to let that go. Or, you know, I, I decided to start doing weekly devotions, and I'm happy with that. I'm happy with my weekly devotions. I don't need to work harder to do more devotions. Or maybe it's in your prayer life. You say, you know, I pray before meals. Every once in a while when I see an email, I, I send out a prayer, but I don't know that I need dedicated time of prayer in my life. No, don't settle for a nomadic spiritual existence. Rather, ask yourself now, where have you prematurely ended the fight? Where do you need to strive forward? So the, second, or the first step that I told you Joshua told the people to do was to take note of what God was offering. I want us to do that. Turn in your Bible to Galatians 5. And we're going to go to Galatians 5. We're going to look at verses 22 through 23. Galatians 5, 22 through 23, and let's read this together, starting in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. It's kind of an Awana-type verse, right? One that we know, that we learn. In fact, Awana has a goal of fostering growth in the fruit of the Spirit. That's one of the things that we are seeking to do. Look at, take note of the blessing that God is offering here in this passage. This is a blessing he is offering for each of us. You see, at the moment of salvation, the moment when you personally accept Jesus Christ is dead, it's payment for your sins, at that very moment, you are baptized by the Holy Spirit. What that means is that you are brought into the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit indwells you. We do, after salvation, physical water baptism as a symbol, a representation of the baptism that occurs. But at the moment when you place your full dependence on Jesus for salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you and begins working in your heart to change you, working to grow the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit here is a list of the life that God is offering us. Consider that for a second. Peace, love, joy, 
That is what God is offering. Don't settle for spiritual nomadic existence. Strive for the fruit of the Spirit. Understand that God is offering you these things. I want to break it down and really dig into the fruit of the Spirit here for a few minutes. The fruit is singular in the Greek. It's not individual fruits. It's not a plural. It is actually a singular, the fruit. The thing that we should be demonstrating, the thing that we should be growing in. It's broken in our Bibles. We can think of it as three triads, three groups of three. So I know some of you just started school back up, so you can multiply that out. If we have three groups of three, we have how many things? Okay, good. It's a hard week at school, maybe? That's all right. The first triad, the first thing that we note are what I would call habits of mind. Habits of mind. These are the things that we foster mentally that really occur in our mind. Look at those three things. Love, joy, and peace. Habits of mind. Things that are sort of contained within. When you see others, do you feel a love for them? A Christ-like love for them? That's what we should be experiencing, what we should be aiming for. When you are going about your daily activities, do you have a joy? Not happiness. Happiness comes and goes. Do you have joy? That's what the Holy Spirit is working on you, to develop in you joy. A sense of peace. When the world is crashing down around you, the Holy Spirit says, it's okay. God's got this. You can have peace. These are habits of mind, things that we can grow in, things that we can foster so that our response to the world internally is one of love, joy, and peace. The second triad, the second thing that we are developing is an outward-reaching invitation. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at it. The first there is forbearance. There's a, a fancy word for you. Forbearance is patience. A willingness to be patient with others. They may not have your best interest in mind. They may be doing things that drive you nuts. But as we grow in Christ's likeness, we develop patience. Kindness. That one's easy. No. The idea here behind kindness is actually Christ-like benevolence. Think about Christ's ultimate act of benevolence, coming to earth, dying on the cross to pay for my sin. Kindness is Christ-like benevolence, the willingness to give and give and give. That's how we should be growing. That's what we should be aiming for. The third item there in our second triad is goodness. Goodness has this idea of both an uprightness, so you could think of this as a moral goodness. You follow the rules. You do things that are good. But beyond just this sort of moral level, it also has the idea of generosity. So in, in the word here that we translate as goodness, it captures sort of moral good. We should be behaving well. But beyond that, it captures the idea of we should be generous. 
These are outreaching invitations. When we display these, when you are patient, kind, generous, people are attracted to that. People like you. Think about it. Who are the people that you like to be with? My guess is that they display patience, kindness, goodness. It's an outward reaching. The third triad is what I call conduct befitting a little Christ. Conduct befitting a little Christ. You see, the first is faithfulness. A faithful person is a trustworthy person. Somebody who you can believe is going to act tomorrow the way they act today because they're trustworthy. They're faithful to who God is making them to be. Gentleness has this idea of being submissive to God. Gentle means not that you're easily pushed over, but rather that you are fully under the control of God. Gentleness. Self-control. The ability to deny the fleshly desires. Each one of us struggles with sin. There are things that we want to do that we know we shouldn't. Self-control is the ability to deny that. To say no. Even though everything in me says I want this, I know this isn't what God has for me. So remember, what I originally told you was that we were to take note of the blessings that God is offering. Take a look at that list for just a second. That's the person I want to be. I hope that's the person you want to be. That's what God's offering. In a world that has no idea who it is, People have no idea who they are. They're searching for some meaning in their life, searching for some identity. God offers us identity. And if you read that, it's an identity we want. It's Christ-likeness. So my action step for you is take a minute. Dream. What do I mean by that? I mean, pick an area. Pick something out of that list that you want to grow in. And imagine what, and think about what would it look like if you showed more love, if you had more joy in your life, if you were more at peace? What would it look like to be more patient? How would you feel if you were more faithful to God? If gentleness was a mark of who you were? And if you had the ability to deny your fleshly desires? Dream. Think about it. What does God want you to be? Where does God want you to grow? And as you're thinking about it, we're going to turn to 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 8. You see, it's one thing to plan, or not to plan so much as to dream about what you could be. It's another thing to actually plan out how to do it. There is no formula for spiritual growth besides let the Holy Spirit work in your life. I want to emphasize that. If there was a formula, I would tell you exactly what to do. But there are some guidelines, guidelines for spiritual growth. 
Uh, on Friday, I went out and had the opportunity to practice landings in, in the airplane. It had been about a year since I had done anything like that. And so I was thinking about, there is no formula for a perfect landing. But there are certain things, if you don't do it, it's not going to be good. There's no formula for the perfect landing. If there was a formula, then auto land on the big, big jets would be a lot smoother than it is. I, I, usually, I try to guess when the airplane has landed itself versus when the pilot landed it, because you can usually feel the difference. There's no formula, but there are certain things you better do. And that's what I see here in 2 Peter. So we're going to read 2 Peter 2, or sorry, 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 8. So join with me in 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 8. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. My point here is to take action and realize the blessings that God is offering. Here are some guidelines, some key ingredients. Things that you absolutely must do to continue to grow. This is what I would call sort of a recipe for growth. In that if you follow this, you have a chance of growing. If you don't follow this, it's not going to be good. Have any of you, are any of you really bad cooks even with a recipe? <laughs> so you understand what I mean. Like this, this is a recipe, but it doesn't guarantee you're going to have to trust the Holy Spirit to grow you. Okay. But let's pay attention to what this says. Look at the first thing that it says. It starts off for this very reason. What reason? We have to look up further on the page. Our salvation. Because we are saved, because we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we need to make every effort, be diligent, work towards spiritual maturity. And the way we work towards spiritual maturity is given to us right here. The first thing that's necessary is faith. Faith comes when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. We say, I am a sinner, unable to solve my sin problem. But I trust that Jesus, in his death on the cross and resurrection, has paid my penalty for sin. That's our first step. That is step one. That is stage one. But we take faith in order to grow, and we add to that goodness. What is goodness? The idea here is that this is what society deems good. This is moral goodness. This is legal goodness. This is what I would call, quote-unquote, being a good person, okay? Faith sets us aside for Christ. Once we have accepted Christ as our Savior, then we begin to work towards doing things right. We add to faith goodness. But this is only step two. There's a lot more to spiritual life than just following the rules, Notice also the order. We don't add to goodness faith. We add to faith goodness. Faith comes first. Only by faith can you have any chance at goodness. 
If you are striving to be good and you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to fail. I'm sorry. That's just the fact of life. Faith comes first. After goodness, though, what do we add? Knowledge. Knowledge. The word here in Greek is gnosko. That is experiential knowledge, not just book knowledge. The knowledge that comes by knowing Christ, by reading his word and applying it to our life. That is a fundamental step in spiritual development. If you are not regularly reading the word of God and applying it to your life, you are going to be spiritually nomadic. Wondering from point to point. It's critical that we add knowledge. But to knowledge, we add self-control. Remember, self-control was one of our, or a part of our fruit of the Spirit back in Galatians. The ability to deny the flesh. Actually, the word for self-control is only used three times in the New Testament. Okay, it's used here, it's used in Galatians, and it comes up once in Acts 2. Self-control is critical to growing in Christ-likeness. To self-control, we add steadfastness. What's steadfastness? It's the idea of consistency, of continuing to be consistent in these things. So we have faith. We're good. We grow in knowledge. Then we seek self-control. We seek to be consistent in all of this. To steadfastness, we add godliness. What's godliness? Piety. The word pious tends to have bad connotations in our world because people don't understand what it truly is to be pious, to seek to imitate God in every situation, to show grace, to show love, to joy, joy to show peace, That's godliness. To search for righteousness, that's godliness. To godliness, we add brotherly love. Philadelphia, that's the word, phileo. To love somebody as a brother, to care for them. But what's striking to me is to brotherly love, we add love, agape, God's love for us, we begin to show to others. Remember, there is no, you can do it exactly and it will exactly work out. No, the Holy Spirit is working. But each of these components are necessary to grow. To grow to be more Christ-like, to possess the promise of spiritual maturity, We must add to our faith goodness. We must add to our goodness knowledge. We must add to our knowledge self-control. We must add to our self-control steadfastness. We must add to steadfastness godliness. Add to godliness brotherly love. And cap this all off with agape love. Unconditional love. So, let me give you an action step in consultation with God, because remember, it's ultimately God who changes us. The Holy Spirit changes us. 
in consultation with God, develop a plan to grow spiritually. Where do you want to work? Peter has given us a list of ways that we can add in order to grow spiritually. Where is it that you need to work in your life? Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And I want you to focus on verses 12 through 14. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We press onward. We don't settle for a spiritually nomadic life, but rather we look at what God is offering, the fruit of the Spirit, spiritual maturity. We look at where we are lacking. Second Peter outlines things that we can add to our life in order to grow. And we press onward, forgetting what's behind, because a racer does not consider in a race what happened in the last mile. They consider what's coming in the next mile. Pressing on for the upward call of Christ, for spiritual My challenge to you, my prayer, is that we will not settle, but rather strive forward, not declaring an early victory, but looking for how Christ would have us grow to be more like him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Christ, for his death and resurrection, for the faith that you have placed in my life and the faith that you have placed in the lives of so many here. I pray that we would add to that faith goodness, that we would add to that goodness knowledge, that we would continue to grow and not declare victory without possessing the true victory in this life. I pray that you would push us forward. Push us to be committed to you. Push us to possess what you have already given us. Father, I pray for anybody here who has not accepted Jesus as their Savior. I pray that you would show them yourself. Show them that you have paid for their sins. They simply need to accept that. Draw us as a body to you. In Jesus' name, amen.